Hello. We've been pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. In fact, when he was in that temple precinct having this exchange with the religious leaders, it says many of the religious leaders actually started to believe Jesus, but they were fearful. It's not uncommon to hear someone say, I'll believe that when I see it. It's not new. But in the New Testament of the Bible, people were present when Jesus performed miracles and yet they still didn't believe. Jesus' behaviour didn't fit their expectations and so they cast him aside. Jesus gave us so many reasons to believe in him. He demonstrated his authority time and again. So what do we do with that? Stay tuned as we join Dr. Corbett to explore one of Jesus' miracles, the sixth sign a man born blind sees. I'm in trouble because Kim has gone to great pains to make sure that these services finish right according to the schedule and I have completely blown it out of the water. So my apologies about that. So. If I'm not here next week, that's because Karen Dixon isn't the only one who can be brutal. But anyway, let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would confirm your word with signs and wonders. We pray, Lord, that as I speak, you would speak into people's hearts and may they hear things that come directly from heaven. Father, as your word speaks into our lives, into our hearts, I pray, Father, that you would heal bodies. That you would, as we've just seen, give people the grace of forgiveness. That you would also give people the grace of repentance to be able to turn and turn to you. So, Father, I pray, as I share, may people hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. John's Gospel is the last Gospel, the last Gospel to be written. Probably around about 62, 63 AD, AD 63 or so, written after the previous four, the previous three Gospels had been written. So there's a lot of things John doesn't include. Interesting little bit of uh, trivia is that each of the Gospels, apart from Gospel of Mark, is exactly the length of a papyrus roll. It's as much as they can fit on a papyrus roll. And so John, I'm sure, in fact, he tells us that he had a lot to say and that Jesus had a lot to say. But he says, I suppose I could fill the world with the books of what Jesus has done, but he actually only had a papyrus roll and that's what he's done. And so this is John's Gospel, the last Gospel, and we're going to have a look at the sixth sign, which could cause you to wonder, what are the other five? And that's what I want to remind you of, because the first one was when he turned water into wine at Cana. Not far from Cana. And by the way, Cana is a little town. It's a tiny little town. You would need a magnifying glass on a map to find it. Not far from there... There was a nobleman whose son was sick to death, as in about to die, and Jesus spoke a word and the boy was healed completely. And so then the third sign was when he came into the pool of Bethsaida. Interestingly, he walked over the sick to get to one man. And this is what Karen preached and Josiah landed the plane on. One man who was lame for 38 years and Jesus told him stand up and walk 
something he had not done for 38 years. I want you to notice in these first three signs, Jesus touched no one and touched nothing. It's with a word. And in fact, John tells us in John 1, 1, he was the word. He had the power of the word. Then in the next chapter, chapter 5, we'll continue in chapter 5, we see that Jesus actually told the religious leaders of Jerusalem, you claim to believe Moses? If you believed Moses, you would believe me. And that ended up being quite a conflict. Then the fourth sign is the first time Jesus actually touched the very thing that caused the miracle. He took barley bread at a time when John tells us in John chapter 6 verse 4, the Passover was at hand, the Passover was near. And you can read that and go, well, that's random, where did that come from? There's nothing random. There's nothing random in the New Testament. There's nothing random in the Bible. John is telling us this for a couple of reasons. Firstly, he's telling us in 12 months, Jesus will die because he dies as the act passover lamb and by telling us that when he fed the 5,000 it was the time for the passover and interestingly he fed them with barley bread which is the bread the unleavened bread of the passover meal he chose to use barley bread prescribed in the law of moses as the bread that you use which is why we use well i don't know what that is but we're supposed to anyway and then the fifth sign was when Jesus came walking on the water to his disciples and and there are scholars who say well that little Greek word on could mean around near but the disciples were amazed and fearful and they saw him walking around the lake on land there's nothing fearful or amazing about it and so we have evidence that Jesus did something as a sign just for them interestingly when he got into the boat it says I think in the gospel of Mark They did not understand what the connection was with him just feeding 5,000 people. And I've got to say, brother, neither do I. What's going on here? And the whole thing that's going on here is he's Lord. He's God in the flesh. You may be looking for answers in religion, but let me tell you, all religions say there is something special about Jesus. In J. Warner Wallace, the former cold case detective who became a Christian at the age of 35 or 6 as a skeptic, as an atheist, he tracks every religion, every religion that even started before Jesus, when Jesus came, they all changed. They all changed. Islam acknowledges Jesus as the most supreme prophet, not Muhammad. Muhammad's not even mentioned in the Quran. But Jesus is. Hinduism, Buddhism, all describe Jesus as someone exquisitely perfect. That should be a clue. If you're looking for religion, just go straight wholesale. Don't go retail, go wholesale. Go straight to Jesus. And so we then have Jesus declaring certain things in John chapter 6 and 7 that he was the bread of life. The bread of life that came down from heaven. And then he declares in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then the background to these slides is Jesus bowing down in the dust and picking up a woman who was about to be stoned. 
in the temple precinct without the man guilty of the crime of adultery for which she was accused, which is a violation of the law. And when they were about to stone her, to do so, they would have had to break the law. And the irony of this is they bring her, throw her down in the temple precinct near what's called the shofar offering boxes. So right on the temple steps. And said, this woman's broken the law and they were breaking the law in doing that. And Jesus calls them out. And I'm not sure if he wrote down the very law that says what they had done was wrong. But it says that when the oldest saw it, he went, "Uh uh-oh. And it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and walked away. Jesus is the word. He can change a situation with a word. The court woman, Jesus turns to her when they all left, her accusers left. And he says, who condemns you? And she says, no one, including Jesus. And he says, neither do I. I do not condemn you. And then he says these profound words, are words that culture hates to hear. Go and sin no more. John 8, 11. Go and sin no more. And then... Just at the time when the Jews were having what's called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles, there was two ceremonies. One was the bringing of fresh water, which is when Jesus said, I'm the living water. And then the last thing they did in it was they lit the lamps. And Jesus then declares, I am the light of the world. And he's not saying this in a corner where Jack Sladden hides. He's saying this right on the temple steps to everybody that was there. And there would have been tens of thousands of people there hearing him say this. At the start of John chapter 7, his brothers have already said to him, Are you coming to the festival in Jerusalem? Because if you're really who you claim to be, there'll be a lot of people there and maybe you should... Maybe you should go and take advantage of that. And Jesus says, you go, I'm not going. It's a beautiful scene because Jesus was saying, I don't go because you tell me to go or invite me to go. I don't go because of the priorities you have in your life, popularity, power, etc. Jesus is saying, I'll go when my father says to go. And in about a verse or two, it says this, that the father indicated, go now, son. Just at the time he went there, when it was in full knowledge of everybody that if the religious leaders found him in the temple precinct, they were going to take him and kill him. And Jesus knew it. All the people knew it. As Jesus is preaching, people began to say, isn't, isn't he the guy that they want to kill? And there they are. They're standing there like little schoolgirls, not doing anything about it. Schoolgirl, that's not in the Greek. It's not even in the English. That's just me being dramatic. They did nothing. Why? Because it wasn't just Jesus there. His father's presence was there, protecting his son. And John says this throughout his gospel leading up to chapter, chapter 19. His hour had not yet come. What hour? Don't, if you go, well, when does it start? It's, not, it's, it's a time to die. 
His hour had not yet come. And so he could go in the confidence that the Father had spoken to him and say, you go, this is not your hour. They won't harm you. And he did. And he says some of the most profound things in John chapter 8. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness or you know a Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witnesses cannot get around this. I and the Father are one, he says in John 10. And in John 8, he claims that he has equal authority to the Father. No angel has that. No prophet, no mere prophet has that. Jesus never said what the prophet said. The prophets say in the Old Testament, they say this, thus saith the Lord. Jesus never said that. He said this, I say. What does that tell you about Jesus? He's God in the flesh. And so we have now this passage through John where he's showing people see the miracles that Jesus did, hear the words that Jesus spoke, and they go, this is like nothing else we've ever heard or seen. And John tells us many believed in him. In fact, when he was in that temple precinct, having this exchange with the religious leaders, it says many of the religious leaders actually started to believe Jesus. But they were fearful of the other religious leaders, so they didn't let on. But here's what belief is all about. And the word belief, believe, occurs in the, gospel, the other Gospels around about six to ten times. But in John's Gospel, it occurs 85 times. Belief is an open heart. It's accepting the evidence that gives good reasons to believe and then a willingness to follow. So belief without action is not really belief. It's just a notion. So believing leads to believing in, which leads to following, which leads to abiding, resting, trusting and an intimate surrender. And that word intimate surrender, there's another word for the intimate surrender and it's the word worship and all throughout john's gospel he highlights that there are people who saw the miracles heard what jesus said and rejected jesus as a result and yet there are those who said i do not understand why you're rejecting jesus there's nothing to reject here and they turned to him and they accepted him and now we're going to see jesus do something that the scripture says had never been done in human history Jesus declared that he was the light of the world and that light is a light that sheds light into a human soul and it helps that person to see their greatest need. And R.V.G. Tasker, a great Bible commentator, he said this, man's greatest need, it has well been said, is to know what is his greatest need. If you're here today and you do not know what your greatest need is, God can give you that as a gift, a realisation of your greatest need. And I love what you said the other week, Nick. Jeez, you knocked it out of the park too, you show off. <laughs> that was brilliant. So the, answer, the purpose of life is not 42. It's, it's living for God and pleasing him. Very good. The only way a person can realise their greatest need is if their eyes, their spiritual eyes are opened. And that's the end of chapter 8. And now we come into John chapter 9 and he does the sixth of the seven signs. A man born blind sees. 
John chapter 9 verse 1, if you've got your Bible, have a look with me. As he passed by, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, that is teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Whose fault is this? Oh man, Pastor Donna preached through Job and that's what Job's counsellor said. Well, Job, you're going through a terrible time. You must have done something wrong. You're to blame for your predicament. That's the question. And Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In the children's church leaders thing this morning, one of the children's church leaders said, you know, there's stuff I'm going through and I'm going through it with people who aren't Christians who are watching me go through it and I'm just hoping that they realise there is a difference to going through stuff when you know Jesus compared to when you don't. Oh man, talk about my heart bursting. I'm going, oh, that's brilliant. What a church to pastor. When people understand God so well like this. Thank you. It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed. Now, of course that man sinned. Of course his parents sinned. But he's saying it's not because God's punishing them or him. There's something else going on. And this is one of the frustrating things. If you want to get to know God, this will frustrate you more than anything else. And it's this. He knows what's going on and you probably won't. I've heard someone say, you know, I'm really hoping that one day I will know exactly why I went through what I went through. And here's, what was it? You're not going to like it, news, Nick? You're not going to like this. But you may never know. But if you can lift your hands in worship, and can I tell you, I'm not just telling you this in theory. This is my life. I worship you, God. I trust you. That's worship. That's where belief is headed. When you worship in surrender like that, we must, Jesus said, work the works of him who sent me while it is day. And he doesn't mean between the hours of 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. He means where God's grace is there to do what only God's grace can achieve. That's when we get on with it. And we're in that season right now. People are turning to Christ because people are bold to share Christ with others. The hour, night is coming, Jesus said, when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, then went back to the blind man whom they were just talking about and anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And the question I have right here is, the next verse tells us that Jesus said, now go and wash, we'll have a look at that in a minute. And the blind man without hesitation did. And I, I read that and I go, did he know it was Jesus? Like some random guys come up, spit on the ground in front of him, made mud out of the dirt in front of him, picked it up with his hands and smeared it all over his eyes. Now go and wash in a pool. You're going to have to find your way there, but wash in that pool, not another pool, the pool of Siloam. And the man said, okay. 
Don't you think that's a... He's obviously not an Australian. <laughs> Australians would have said... Would have had two words, something like get and there's another... Out. out. <laughs> you come from a different part of Australia to me. <laughs> but this man... This man did it. And you know what? I, I, I hear that and I go... He must have known who was speaking to him. Later on in the text, you'll see he did. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The blind man's faith was evidenced by his obedience to Christ. Believe, believe in, trust, surrender your life. Abide and do anything he says. That's worship. That's where belief goes. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, oh, yeah, it is he. Others said, no, it does look like him. He kept saying, I am him. I am the man. So they said to him, uh, well, how can you see now? What happened? He answered, the man called Jesus. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, ah, he knew that was Jesus. He put his faith in Jesus. He trusted Jesus knows best. The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And can I tell you today, you can receive your sight today. You may not know where your life is going. You may not no, you may feel like you're in darkness right now. You may feel it's getting very dark, but Jesus can open your eyes and turn the lights on. Did this man know everything about Jesus? No, no. Later on we'll read, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One of them did nothing but mock Jesus all the way, all the time. The other one began to, then he realised, no. And he turned to Jesus and asked him for forgiveness. And just shortly after that, the Romans broke his legs and he died of suffocation. And you can imagine um, Alistair Begg, a great Scottish preacher, preached a message about the man on the middle cross. Imagine that, that thief dying, going to the gate of heaven. He's been a wretched, murderous, thieving, mongrel of a man all his life. He turned to Jesus in, the, in the, literally the dying seconds of his life and said, please forgive me. And Jesus said, I guarantee you, you'll be in paradise with me. And so you imagine that he goes to heaven, he stands for the gate of heaven. And there's Peter, if it's Peter, saying, what are you doing here? And Alistair Begg says, the man would have said to him, I don't know, but the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's grace. Grace forgiven. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to do anything. You just have to turn to Jesus and trust what he says. The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly being blind. Now it was this, a Sabbath day when Jesus had made bud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Huh. 
Now the Pharisees, their big deal is not a new one, but they're going, it can't be a miracle. This is a scam. You weren't really blind. This can't be a miracle because God would never do anything this good on the Sabbath. We know because we made that rule. We told God that was the rule. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, Oh, by the way, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Just by the way. How can a man, says this man who was once blind, who was a sinner, do such signs? And there was a division among them, because that was a good point. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? The formerly blind man said, he's a prophet. That's all he knew. He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe him that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called his parents, the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He's old enough. He can speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. You may have been lost and lonely and very confused. And the moment Jesus spoke into your soul to turn the lights on and opened your eyes, You will see. You will see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, but you won't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they began to revile him, saying, You were his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Moses would never break our rules. We know that God has spoken to Moses. (laughs) But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The blind man, who maybe wasn't Aussie, said, Well, this is an amazing thing, isn't it? (sighs) You don't know where he comes from, yet he can open blind eyes. Maybe he's from God. They say... We know that God does not listen to sinners who break the Sabbath. (laughs) But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. (laughs) And would you teach us? And they cast him out, which is an expression to say you are disfellowshipped and not allowed to enter into a synagogue until you repent. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. Hmm. And it is he who is speaking to you. 
By the way, Jesus' designation of himself as the Son of Man is actually a divine title. You find it in Daniel 7.13. And he said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. The end of belief is worship. And he worshipped him. And I'm going to invite you to do the same in just a moment. Believing in Jesus as your Saviour and Lord leads to worship of him. And to begin to worship him, you must know him. You must know him and his word. And his word is truth. Would you please stand? We're going to sing this song, The Truth. It, it, it sums up who Jesus is. It sums up his word. And then having sung this worship song, I'm going to invite you to become a worshipper. A surrenderer of, to Jesus. And I want to help you on your new journey. And I want to help us as a church. We surrender our hearts, our minds. There are times when each of us do not understand your dealings with us. But we trust you. We worship you. Father, we don't give up. We don't want to be cold hearted. We want to be on fire for you. Lord, we want to believe that you can do what your word says you can do. And Father, we pray for more manifestations of the supernatural, for healings, for signs, for wonders, for people to come in lonely, desperate, looking for answers and hope and to find it in Jesus. And right now, if that's you, if that's you right now, you are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer away. A prayer of surrender. Why don't you surrender? Why don't you come home? The God who created you has not put you here today by accident. You know the things that have been going on in your life that have brought you to this point. Right now, in your heart, surrender to Jesus. Ask God the Father to forgive you and ask him to give you the gift of faith and the gift of repentance and to turn to Jesus as your Lord and Saviour now. And I pray for all those who are within the sound of my voice who long to do that and think they can't do it. So Lord, give them the gift of being able to do it. And I pray for them now that they would have their eyes open, their hearts enlivened in Jesus name and I pray for us as a church that we would have an increased heart and compassion realizing that you're already at work you're going before us and you're doing things in people's lives that when we begin to speak to them they'll go it's a funny thing you say that I've been having these weird dreams I've been having these weird yes because God's calling them and Father may we see more and more people come to know you as a result of your people right here right now may we know the love of God the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit 
in Jesus' name. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel, Part 15, from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, sometimes a person's preconceived ideas prevent them from accepting the truth. The blind man believed in Jesus and believing in Jesus leads to worship of him. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.